really bad. And, and then I then I messed around with that little fiddle ding, and once I fiddled a dinged it, it worked. So. Fiddle do, fiddle don't. Fiddle do, fiddle don't. Yeah, I was so. real confused because you were saying I was turning up the volume. You and were that, like pointing at it. I wasn't sure. I was like, is he underwater? What's up, guys? Welcome back to Direct a Podcast, episode number 18. As always, we are sponsored by Eightfold Creative, and our new sponsor is Film Supply. Film Supply is a full-service licensing agency that houses incredible, highly curated footage by myself and hundreds of other filmmakers. If you're looking for footage to fill the gaps or just building a treatment and need inspiration, check out filmsupply.com. Today, we're chatting with Maceo Frost. Maceo is an incredibly talented filmmaker that has seen huge success, especially in the documentary realm. His documentary, Raised by Crump, was staff picked and probably was one of my favorite spots of the past year. So I think uh, I think this definitely was one of my favorite conversations to date. So sit back and enjoy. And I'm Keenan Wetzel, and he's Kurt Snyder. Oh, I forgot about that. Take it away, Maceo. <laughs> Hey, Maceo, thanks for being on the podcast today. Hey, guys. Nice to be here. So let's let's kick it off. Give me three films that describe Maceo as a filmmaker. Okay, cool. Okay, it's a difficult question. And right now, actually, I only have two to give All right, you guys. We'll, t- we'll take two. But one of them is this crazy documentary about uh, this guy named... Jodorowsky, that's his last name. Shit, now I can't even remember his first name. But the film's name is Jodorowsky's Dune. Have you guys seen it? I have not. So it's basically about this director's mission to make a documentary, which at its time, uh, when it was going to be made, would have been the largest, like, biggest budget uh, film of its day. I think it was in the 70s, and it was um, this director from, shit, I can't, I think it's Chilenian. Uh, his name is Jodorowsky. So basically, he this film was actually never made, but it's about him putting together the team of this movie that was never made. And he describes it as him uh, finding his spiritual warriors to make a film that is uh, more like it should be like LSD, but without taking drugs. That's basically what he explained. But this film never happened, but his team uh, got picked up by like entire Hollywood. So it's basically the foundation of Star Wars, of you know Star Trek, of so many, so many films that we watch this day. Find like inspiration in, in his script that actually never got made, but the book of it got uh, picked up by like in the on the shelves in like Hollywood studios. Hmm. So people just took you know his team, his artists, and that's how like the Alien movies were created from like with his main artist. So that's like, I even made a film inspired by a film that copied his film. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what happened to him though? Um, Film never happened. I think he got a little traumatized from that experience. So he started making comic books instead, but now he's making films again. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. I'll have to check that out for sure. Yeah. He's super inspiring that guy. So yeah. And that's, he inspires me to like be crazy and just, find my crew in the same way that he describes it like he's really like finding people that he he describes them as his like spiritual warriors and to me that's a nice way because filmmaking is really like 
jumping into sometimes like an impossible mission, you know, and you need your warriors with you to really make shit happen. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like the way he describes it. Yeah, you should see it. Like, yeah, that's all I can say. The second film is a Japanese uh, anime movie called Mind Game. And all I can say about it is that it's just insane. <laughs> and you have to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm over too. I've heard of the first one, but I haven't seen it. I, well, I've not even I've not necessarily heard of the film. I've heard of the 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 guy who was making the film that was massive, and that other star uh, like other sci-fi movies are based off of. But I have not seen the film, so I guess starting from the top, um, how did you get your start directing professionally? Is it something you always wanted to do, or? I mean, there's you know there's so many stories of like when did it begin, but basically I think it was you know I've been playing around and fibbling with cameras and filming friends, filming my friends, skateboarding, playing around with animations, you know, ever since I was like 11, 12-ish. But it wasn't until actually I decided to quit doing animation. And I I felt like I spent so much time in front of the computer that I wanted to do more live action. And the first thing I started exploring was to, to start doing like small traveling films with a friend. And these film projects, I noticed that this was the most fun, you know, meeting people, interviewing them, cutting it together, and making like a nice visual story with emotion in it. So that's kind of how it started when I was around 20, like 20-ish, you know, my early 20s. And I noticed that every time I did one project like that, uh, I showed it to people. Then I started getting more work. Where they're like, oh, we like we like this thing that you did. We want the same thing, but we want this for our brand, or we want this for our to announce this. And that's like kind of I noticed that oh, if, so if I do my own things, then people look at that, people get inspired, and they want that too. So yeah, that's kind of how I started actually. And were those travel films things? Did you have ideas for what they would be going into them, or were you just going to a location and finding the story? I mean, it came to that, but like I remember the first one I did, I actually did it with my, the one that kicked off everything was, uh, I made a film with my dad. So my dad's uh, a dancer from the Bay Area. But, you know, he met my mom, moved to Sweden, blah, 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 anyway. But he was back in New York for a week, and he was visiting some friends that he hadn't met in many, many, many years. So I filmed them in Golden Gate Park when they were dancing, and it was really like, I just filmed it with a 70, had like a Zoom mic for the interview. And that was the first time I learned how to, you know, cut a documentary, cut dialogue. I noticed, oh, you have to ask the right questions, otherwise, you know, okay, they talk a lot. How do I cut it down? How do I, like, direct it into a theme? So I learned from that, and quickly I wanted to, you know, I saw people doing really inspiring stuff on Vimeo, I saw really cool like Nike commercials, people traveling, you know, make films about athletes and doing fast paced edits and stuff. So I got inspired by that whole thing. And actually I went to um I went to Norway with a really good friend of mine. His name is Ishtar. And then I had a really clear vision because I've done the, you know, just experimenting before. And now I knew, okay, she's a badass longboarder. She has an amazing philosophy and thoughts about life. So I just wanted to capture that. 
and actually that film uh, is the film that like the first actually I think it's like the first thing I did that got lots of views and kind of like kicked off my career and that was I think around three years ago now three or four years ago so then after that did you um, start getting like start talking to other to production companies um, you know how did you kind of kind of get work in the in the beginning yeah it was definitely and I was at some production companies just like fibbling around as like you know doing everything from editing doing like the online stuff doing some graphics stuff for other directors and sometimes they like oh maybe you can do this film but it wasn't like they trusted me and I was doing quite shitty work and it was like turkey commercials you know everything that I hope people will never see <laughs> <laughs> so I hope it's hidden somewhere uh so I, I kind of realized, you know, shit, okay, if I'm going to stay here, try to work my way up, you know, things are never going to happen. And so that's kind of why I started doing these passion projects. And that's when production companies started contacting me. And actually, from making that longboarding thing, production company in LA contacted me. Sadly, they're not around anymore. Uh, but... Uh, Together, we like they were like, okay, Macy, we believe in you, we want to sign you, come over here. It's like, oh, fucking cool. And then I, then in England, and then in Sweden, and then in Europe, like Berlin. So it's kind of happened in that way, just from like putting out my own things online. So let's talk about funding for these. I mean, you're referring yeah. to them as passion projects. So does that mean all of them started with you just putting in your own money or did you worse for some of these, did you have brands attached in pre-production or did brands come on towards the end or how did that all work out? So the first thing I did, the longboarding thing, I, I just paid for it from my own pocket. And I think I paid, it's, it's called Ishtatus Lago and it's actually made like dirt cheap. It's, I paid for it basically we lived in a tent on a road trip, but I quickly realized, okay, shit, okay, I need some more backup if I want to take it to the next level, especially if I want to shoot in the States. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to do Race by Crump. So actually, a production company in the States, they contact me and say, you know, Macy, okay, we like your, we like your film uh, about Ishtar, and we really want to work with you here in the States. So um, do you want to come over? I was like, yeah, sure. Of course I want to come to LA and you know, I've never been there. So. And they said, you know, we have some extra money if you want to do something. We have a whole crew, we have a producer. We have, and that's like the dream situation. It's like, so if you have an idea you want to shoot, uh, just tell us. And, you know, quickly then in that moment, I was like, wait a minute, I have an idea. I want to do a film about crumping. And I told them about the first time I saw crumping and how that, kind of blew my mind and basically they like three weeks later i'm in la shooting race by crump wow well so, so that went kind of fast. then they paid for it wow that's 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 the dream right there so i guess yeah. let, let's back up a second how yeah. how did you discover the the crump scene in la and how did how did that come about um actually uh 
I just I just want to say one thing though. It's two companies that back me up, and it's Bevictbuild as well. So this is the thing that happened. I went to Czech Republic, uh, two thousand and shit. When was it? Two thousand and eleven, I think, or two thousand and twelve. And I was there with my dad. And I said I told you a little bit briefly. My dad's a dance teacher, so I kind of grew up like exposed to all these kinds of street dance because mm-hmm. he used to judge at different competitions. So I went to the street dance camp in the Czech Republic with my dad. And I, that's when I saw Crumping for the first time. And it was actually, my friends had some showcases, people were competing and everybody was a little bit tired and ready to go to bed. And it was this one last showcase. And I'd seen Crumping the night before just briefly. And uh, I was like, oh, aggressive music, like macho. I like, I had no idea what it was. I just saw it in the glimpse of an eye, you know. And then this performance happened. And there's this guy, you know, tie-dyes dancing on stage and just sending goosebumps to everybody in the crowd. Like people were crying. It looked like he was crying. I said, it was so emotional. And I realized, you know, it wasn't my... It has some aggressive macho-ness to it, but it's really more about expressing your emotions and being vulnerable and letting yourself out there. And that's what he did in the moment, and it gave me goosebumps. So then that was 2012, and ever since then, I've been wanting to do something with it. So, you know, the company, they contact me. I sell it into them. Then I fly, actually, I contact the guy. I fly to Düsseldorf in Germany. At the same time, I book my flight a friend of mine calls me up and it's like Maceo we have a project for you it's in Düsseldorf just going to be a crump competition and I'm like dude I already booked my ticket one hour earlier and then it turns out that this guy his name is Philip and he's the founder of a German company together with another guy named Jacob it's a company called the Victbuild so when I came there they helped me to film and like just get around and through those two companies, you know, the film later happened. And I went to L.A. and I, yeah, shot the thing. So I think one of the really cool thing about the project raised by Crump is how organic it is. How much of that video was mapped out versus how much did you find in the edit? Um, I'd say, let me think about that one. I mean, in the beginning, the film was supposed to be like five minutes long. <laughs> so it's definitely an intuitive process in that way. I actually edited it when I was on a vacation in Costa Rica. So I was surfing in the morning. I came home and I sat on my laptop and I was like, okay, I'm gonna, how am I going to use all this footage? Like I have so many darlings and I had so many interviews that I just realized, you know, slowly while I was editing, it just became longer longer and then I was like shit but how long can I keep this up without having you know people dropping out in the middle of the film you know how can I keep people's attention but eventually it wound up being 20 20-ish minutes and they go by fast too I gotta say yeah and I think it's something actually since it's a lot of slow motion you kind of like adapt to that time but the time goes by really fast in a weird way mm-hmm. so why do you think, because, uh, you know, crump, crumping seems to be such a specific thing. Why do you think people who don't know anything about it, uh, you know, have you relate to it so well and, and have enjoyed the, enjoyed the film? I think the film, you know, you know crumping as a dance is 
I mean, there's two things. One is that it looks cool. It's exciting to watch. But I think actually the dance is just maybe like a catalyst for something deeper, which is just being vulnerable, showing your emotions, having, you know, guys talking about masculinity and things such as, you know, crying, just being brave to cry. And in, in Crump, you see this dad, you know, and he's telling his kids that if you, you know, you have to be able to cry. You have to get your emotions out. You can't hold it in, you know. And that's where he thinks a lot of crime comes from. So I think it's really interesting, that whole aspect. And that's what I was digging for during the whole shoot, just getting people to really open up and, like, talk about, you know, how does this dance help you deal with things that you're going through? And I think a lot of these things, a lot of people are going through, even if you don't live in Compton, or if you leave, you know, live in, I don't know, the opposite side of Earth, I still think there's, or like, or from a different, you know, environment, there's always something to relate to in this where, you know, it, it feels as if we don't talk that much about how we feel to each other, you know. Right. It, it, it doesn't often get deeper than on the surface. And I think it's a film that really explores, you know, the deeper realm and I think people, you know, people are craving for that. Yeah, and I think you did a great job of not making it about Crump, the dance, but making it about, like, the emotion that Crump makes you feel. Would would you say, was that your intention going into it? Or did you think that kind of developed after you did a couple interviews and, and started really... Oh, that was definitely definitely, definitely the intention. Goal. Yeah, well, yeah, it's definitely the goal. guys. I have some pretty crazy stories if you want to hear it, how the film actually, you know, what happened when I arrived in LA. Throw them at us. Yup. So this is a good one. So basically, I show up. You know, I have you know I have this meeting in Düsseldorf in Germany. We book a date and time, fly to LA. I go to Long Beach, not the most like you know, where I am is like. I wouldn't say I felt the most safe in that particular area that yeah. I was in. I meet up with the dancer. He's super cool, but he got a job. And like, basically, the dates that we booked didn't work out. But I have my producer there. I have the DOP. I have like my whole production company ready to shoot the same weekend. And I'm like, fuck, you know, what are we going to do? I asked the guy. It's like, hey, man, you know, I'm not sure that I can extend my ticket that much so I can wait for you to get back to Tokyo. So I'm afraid that we have to change the story of the film. We have to, like, the film can't just be about you anymore. It's like, who inspires you? And I asked him, like, I want to find, like, like a really strong woman, the crumbs. I want to find, uh, like, the next generation. Like, who are the, you know, the kids? that are holding it down, you know. And he told me there was a Crump event the same evening. And I was talking to his friends who were like, yeah, you know, they were telling me about some people. And I was like, yeah, we should go tonight. We should go tonight. So we went there the same night. And I, it's in Inglewood. And I remember watching the competition. And I think it goes on for like two or three hours. And I'm looking at the, all the dancers and I'm like, fuck, you know, doesn't fit. 
people danced great, but I didn't see the character, you know, the, that had a little extra, you know, glimpse in the eye. And but I looked at this one woman that was standing, you know, looking at the dancers in the crowd, and I recognized her from somewhere. I'm not sure where I recognized her from, but it was just something like magical about her. So uh, after three hours, the event is about to round off. Tyra uh, gets me. It's like, hey, Macy, I need to introduce you to someone. And uh, you say you're looking for like a strong, you know, female crumper, and I have someone for you. So he introduces me to a woman named Miss Prissy, and it happens to be this lady that I've been looking at, you know, that's been fascinating me. She's super nice. And she tells me, though, that, you know, okay, uh, if you want to film something, let's let's talk about it. And, like, I don't really talk about, like, business or things like this when I'm just out enjoying myself. But come to my house this week. And I'm like, okay, sure, definitely. So I'm at a parking lot, you know, 1 a.m. in the morning, outside the event. And I meet this other guy, and his name is a worm. So I'm talking to him, and I'm like, shit, oh, this is the nicest guy. I just wish he was a dancer, because he was like the first person that was super easy to deal with. And I was just like, oh, I wish he was a dancer. But I had no idea, since it wasn't, we didn't meet in the competition. And so anyway, the week passes, and I go to Miss Prissy's house, and we're, you know, I'm trying to explain a little bit about the vibe of the film, how, and the way to, well, the way I describe things, sometimes I show something that I've done before. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, Prissy, just so you understand the vibe, we should look at this documentary I did uh, two years ago. And then I show him the documentary that I did in New York with these dancers. And I show it to her and she's like, wow, shit, you know what? I, I actually met one of those guys that guy like i love that guy and i was like oh that's my dad <laughs> she's like no fucking way turns out that she and uh, met my dad at a dance competition in paris like 2007 so that was like my in and then we i look at her vimeo channel and i see her she uploaded a video of the other guy that i met in the parking lot which i was like hoping was a dancer Turns out like he's one of the most amazing dancers I've ever seen. So everything just kind of came together like coincidence of the stars kind of way, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. You went in just thinking it was going to be a story about one person and it ends up being something entirely different. But yeah, I yeah. Lo- those the kids were so great. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. And they were actually running around. Those were the only people that I knew was going to be there and that I heard from yeah. from Tyler's crew. And I, they actually didn't dance at that event. They were just running around playing. And I, and that's when I met their dad. And I went to his shop later in Crenshaw and I just told them about the film. And they were super nice. Such cool kids. And I've been dreaming of filming something with them ever since. Yeah, they're, they're such big personalities. I got yeah. all right. Two more quick questions on Crown. One, how how did the music collaborations come about? Like, how'd you get Flying Lotus on board? It's a, it's an interesting long story. So basically, the the short version. Um, Flying Lotus is a big inspiration for why the film even exists in the first place. So if we rewind time to until the quiet comes and and what's it called? The one with Kendrick Lamar in it, with the kids, you know, in the oh, coffins. Oh yeah. Like, 
where I, I mean, that shit's insane. So you know, his films have been a big inspiration. And, and so it was kind of a way to show tribute to that. At the same time, it's some of my favorite music and like really inspired me also to go to LA. And the, the funny thing is that when I was, I think, 16, no, wait, 18, 17 something, my dad had a show at Sonar Music Festival because he had a, a group back in the day called Hearing Aid. So he performed there and there was this guy in, in front of the crowd and there was digging. Turns out this guy was Flying Lotus and they like talked a little bit backstage and just br- met briefly and like vibed about music stuff. Yeah. So I I remember like getting the the albums before they were released, like at least one of them. And at, at the time I didn't really understand it. I was like, this is too complicated for my ears. Like I didn't understand it. <laughs> the more I listened, I was like really fascinated. So there was this connection and then time and this was the MySpace days. And then, you know, Flylo got really big. The, you know their contact dispersed and uh, but so when you know the crumb film came about i literally i just wrote a letter with this story and i sent it to uh, uh somebody that i know that works with uh, music reps and thanks to her she managed to like get through all the noise and you know get contact with the label and stuff to, to get the uh, you know, the permission to use the song. So that's, that's how we got that. And did, did you send that letter before you shot anything? Oh no, no, that was after that was after. So what what would you have done if you did, if you couldn't get it? I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you just have to gamble a little bit. Yeah. Really? (laughs) I love it. So the, the last question raised by Trump, we were curious about is the look is very specific. Like, can you talk a little bit about like the look and the way you guys shot it and the way you graded it and kind of what formats you shot on? And the grain specifically, like how are you able to get that grain with, with digital footage? Cause it's something that I don't, looks like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah. No, okay. Just, you know, I shot it with a really good friend of mine. His name is Robin Asselmeyer and Robin was working in LA at the time. And he, 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 convinced me to use like this old vintage lenses and it's like Macy we have to use these and I was like okay sure like I never worked with them before okay but let's do it so it was this one particular 18 millimeter that we didn't really know that it was going to be glowy and like we didn't had no idea what the look was going to be but we stumbled upon it with this 18 mil and it had this you know that's you know just as you described this glowy bloomy mm-hmm. type feel to it so i remember just the first like shooting day you know we came back, back put the footage in the computer graded it and when you underexpose things a little bit but you shoot against like really bright source that like is able to bleed through the lens and then you drag up like the you crush the blacks a little bit and you drag up the lower mids, something really special happens. And A, you get that grain that you guys are talking about, and mm-hmm. there's actually no grain added whatsoever. It's just straight out of the Alexa with this lens. Mm-hmm. And what what were the lenses? Uh, that's, that's uh, if, Ro- if I tell you guys, Robin is going to kill me. 
Gotcha. All right. That's cool. <laughs> but I, I respect that. I've trying. I've been renting the same lens in probably like in three different countries, and it's actually like no other lens is the same as this one eighteen millimeter. Right. Yeah, I've been trying to, but it just doesn't work. And it's no filters at all. It's no. I get emails like, like Promise or every second day. It was like, is it Promise? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? But it's just this one lens that just had some fungi. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then it's actually some glow added in post as well. That's yeah. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. So I guess what are obviously I know dance is one of them, but what are what are some of your other interests outside of filmmaking, and how do you think those impact your filmmaking career? Um, the, spontaneously, what I want to say is actually, you know, where I kind of got my interest in interest from is from my parents. They influenced me like a whole lot on this. And the way like my dad and my mom met, like my dad was originally like he was a BMX pro and my mom was a skateboarder. And this was back in like the Golden Gate Park days uh, when, you know, these sports were like blooming and getting alive. And this was when like Tony Hawk and like Rodney Mullen, everybody was in the same skate park, you know, and that's where they met. So from this, and I, I grew up in a home with, you know, with skateboards everywhere. My mom was painting, doing art. And my dad, he broke his wrist, so he couldn't ride BMX, so he had to learn something else. So he started dancing, and he became a really good dancer. So it's like I was always exposed to this my whole life, to music. And, and I'm named after James Brown's you know, saxophone player, Maceo Parker, which is one of the coolest people I have ever seen live. So it was that kind of vibe and that kind of home that made me like fall in love with skateboarding, dance, and you know, music. So when I started making films, it really came naturally like, okay, what kind of music are we gonna use? Oh, I like this kind of music. So mm -hmm. it, it actually, film is such a good way because it's just a blend of everything you like, you know, and it's a blend of visuals, of, of movement and light. It's like everything that I was interested in, I was able to throw into it. And that's basically, you know, that's basically it. But what I do now when I'm not filming is like I love music. Play the piano every day or every day I'm next to one. And mm -hmm. um, I take my skateboard everywhere. I don't do, I don't like throw myself down rails and stuff anymore because I hurt myself. <laughs> so I'm basically, you know, cruising to work. And then... Yeah, it's like piano cruising around on my skateboard. I like to take stills too, and I really like to dance. What what kind but of I dance? Do that mostly it's, at what home. kind of dance is your style? I don't, it's actually called house, but I don't want to get it twisted and you know get it mixed up with the whole EDM house. It's more like deep house. Yeah, like Chicago house and stuff, like and South African house and like Afrobeat stuff. Nice. That I like to do. I like footwork. It's like footwork music, Chicago footwork music, and I like to dance, you know, with a lot of footwork. So we kind of touched on this briefly, but um, you know, passion projects have been a big deal for your career. Um, what's your what's your thought process on like putting your own money into into these projects? It's so worth it, man. 
so this is one of the biggest realizations that I had. So I just, you know, I did a, I was doing these super shitty commercials and I wanted to do something cooler. And I was like, I was seeing the Nike ads and I was seeing all this stuff. So I decided to go to Cuba. And when I went to Cuba on vacation, it was just to like get some new inspiration, film a little bit, take some photos, take some stills. But from this trip, I started meeting these really interesting people. And I was lucky enough to just meet this crazy like producer with golden teeth that happened to be Swedish, but he barely was Swedish anymore. It was just Cuba. <laughs> he turned into a Cuban. And he showed me around the city and introduced me to this uh, amazing woman, this boxer named Namibia. And I started hanging out with her and filming her. And slowly I was like, wow, shit. It, it got so, it was finally like I realized, like, shit, this is what I want to do. You know, I don't want to melt away doing like toothpaste commercials. Like, this is what I want to, I want to travel, I want to make portraits of people at that time and that was just with my own money that I did this and I came home I edited a short short little trailer from it and from that investment that trailer what that trailer gave back has been you know hundredfold and it's basically giving me you know every job that I'm getting now and that's just because of you know going out exploring going out of your comfort zone, going somewhere maybe that, you know, you're a little bit nervous, you don't speak the language, you know, it's going to be, you're going to have to like go out of your little comfort bubble. So, I mean, it's the best thing you can do. And another thing is I had the footage lying around and it was lying around and I was getting this other work and I was like, fuck, you know, I have a responsibility to this woman because I need to get her story out because basically women aren't, uh, encouraged or you know funded or they don't have any support in Cuba if they want a box so it's basically banned so I had like the story on my shoulders of like ah how am I gonna do this and I didn't have time to edit it myself but I and I didn't get in anybody else and then I realized you know what what if I just pay somebody to start editing this project and then with that time I can still work and do other things and I'll actually it will the outcome will be the same you know you, you know what i mean yeah so it's like might as well invest you know this money which is my time into you know this project so i can keep doing both and, and yeah that's a tip <laughs> absolutely that's yeah that's great advice too i think um i think a lot of a lot of filmmakers are apprehensive to put put their own money into their work but really i think it is like you said the best investment you can make yeah um, i mean it, you have to gamble a little bit yeah exactly you have to win some to lose some and lose some to win some so let's uh let's talk about upcoming work uh future projects you got coming up anything in the pipeline i mean the the cuba film actually turned into feature really and I kind of stumbled upon making a feature. And by that, I mean that at first, you know, it started to be a five minute. Then we started editing and then it turned out to be 20 minute. We went back, we edited more, came 30 minute. And then, you know, luckily one of the companies that I dreamed of working with, like 
when I went to Cuba, was like, I really want to work with this company. Turned out they had already seen the film and loved it so much. So when I approached people to get the funding to make it something longer, they were like the first that were super interested. And I was lucky enough to have this company in, in Amsterdam called Revolver that managed to like secure that funding and like make that happen. So now actually what I'm doing now is I'm running back and forth between sound studio uh, for my feature film that I finished with Namibia. So that's the thing that I'm most excited about now. Actually, I just sent the link into festivals. I sent it into Sundance uh, today. And a couple of weeks ago, I sent it into IDFA. So if Sundance or IDFA hears this, they have to accept my (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So do you, is our our documentaries, is, is that, is that your one, your one true love? Do you have interest in the narrative side as well? Or, or is, is documentaries kind of where you always want to be? I think documentaries was the start Mm -hmm. and now it's definitely more working with actors as well because you can, your imagination can also only go so far Yeah, sometimes and basically my playground for working with actors it's in the commercial field right it, so, so this where I, this cuba film is is a documentary correct yeah yeah 100 percent. about her life story her journey of wanting to go to the olympics what happens on that way and what happens to the people that she meets? What are her conflicts that she's being torn about? You know, loving Cuba as like a super patriot, but having friends that have left Cuba telling her to like, uh, it's like, shit, you're living in a bubble. <laughs> you have to get out. But her trainer's like, ah, viva la Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, yeah, that's what it's about. So we like to end the podcast with kind of giving advice to maybe your future, your, your past self or, or other filmmakers that might be listening. Do you have any advice? Mm. Okay. So I'm, I guess, you know, we all have friends that look to, you know, that if, and I'm, now I'm talking about just, I bet you also have friends that, you know, are inspired by that you're filming, doing stuff. And they say like, wow, I really want to film as well. And sometimes it can be hard to know how to to make this thing happen. And I think some people are more in love with the idea of becoming something rather than really wanting to do the work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And I think it comes down to like, and I've, I've been lucky that I've, I've made sure to, you know, I've always done my own things and that has led me to work. So I haven't like, my goal was never to do a commercial, you know, and then, you know what I mean? It started out always me wanting to play around with the camera in the first place, having fun, being fascinated by how sometimes you're just lucky and an image just looks fucking good and you, you can't explain it, but then you want every, every image to look good. And then you notice that, wait a minute, it's so much more than the visual. It's, it's the story that fascinates you. So you kind of evolve into this things coming naturally. So that's, you know, just play around and don't get caught up in wanting to become 
this and that. It's just grab the camera and play around and gamble a little bit. Put in your own money and it shouldn't be safe. Like you, sh you should go out of your comfort zone. It shouldn't be too easy. Like if you're a little bit nervous or it feels like, oh, it's a big step, then it's exactly what you need to do. One of the last advice that I want to give to the podcast is, you know, I just had the most fucking amazing weekend now in Berlin. And what I did, it was just, I met just filmmakers that I hadn't met before and hang out and vibe, talk about life. And that's something I think that it's really, really important to just surround yourself with other like dreamers. Mm. That's the first step you have to do. Because if you're just surrounded by people that, you know, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, you can do it, but it's going to be really difficult, blah, blah, blah. It's, no, you just have to surround yourself with people that dream. Even if you're super talented, you know, you're always going to need somebody to push you. You know, it's not a one one man, one woman thing. So that's surround yourself, find that crew. That's, I think, one of the main things. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in. You can stay up to date with Maceo at maceofrost.com. That's M-A-C-E-O-F-R-O-S-T.com. We will see you guys next time with a new director. And a new podcast. Bye.